Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'll have people tell me, you know, I love Jesus. I don't want anything to do with the church. Church full of wicked hypocrites and all this stuff. And I go, congratulations. And they say, what? You're doing the work of your father, the devil. You're not David. The Bible's not about you. Ask me what I know. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. Ask me what I know to be a verity that can deal with my soul. That's what I need. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will stand with Athanasius and Polycarp and Calvin and Luther and Whitfield and Edwards and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Hey everyone, welcome to the round table seven uh, with Alex and Paul. And if you are confused by that intro, yes, those are not false teachers. Those are legit guys that we mixed it up a little bit. So I want to clarify right out the gate. You guys want to say hello? Hello. All right. So what was your secret special announcement, uh, Alex, from... I'm waiting for that too. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, thank you to everybody who's, can we say wasted? Cause I don't know if you, if they really, if it was a good investment for our lame banter. Um, but for those who made it through, that's awesome. Um, I did get some people that DM'd me, said they listened to the all 48 or 49 minutes of it. So we found out, um, by accident this week that, uh, the three of us, We'll be at the Ligonier Conference in March in Orlando, Florida in 2020. And I'll just let that mic drop to the floor. See, did you hear it? I didn't hear the noise. Well, I'm sorry for you. So basically, Uh, if you see us, you should say hi. Yes. And or not. I think. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. I think Paul says that he's handing out a 20 buck, you know, $20 bill to everyone who says hi to him. But I you probably you, will. You have to rub his beard though <laughs> yeah. to get it. <laughs> the uh, Undying Light will have a booth 
and they will be oh, handing, that would be they will be trippy. handing out their apostle certificates there, so you can buy them right at the booth. Yeah, it's it's just it's going to be a trash bin, big <laughs> one, with right next to the men's bathroom. And, and, no, we're just going to sit. We're just gonna in the trash bin outside. And that will be the Undying Light Apostle Certificate booth. It's in the porter yeah, potties across cool. the street. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> you can you can find it by just following your nose down the street a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know who else is in, in Orlando? Who's that? Ben Hinn. Is he? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he is. So that's where you can find the Crisis a Cure booth, by the way. <laughs> oh. I see. I see. Yeah, I believe I have a partnership going on with him because of his recent, uh, you know, recanting and all that. Oh, yeah. I just heard a, a video by um, Michael Brown. Oh, yeah. And the, the comments in there, people actually standing up for Benny Hinn. Like, oh, Benny Hinn has had such, a, such an empowered ministry. He has so much of a Holy Spirit. Why is he being called out on, on, on something now? I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Uh, I'm still kind of kind of on the fence about the whole situation whenever i think about it it's like well we'll see i don't know apparently some i can't i don't know who it was but some prosperity teacher made a video calling out benny hen for calling out the prosperity gospel what i don't remember <laughs> his hilarious. name but i was like that's copeland? who's that kenneth copeland no if it was copeland i would have known i would have been able to like tell you immediately it was some guy oh, i've never heard of before old. Low level. Started with like Mark, maybe. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, for our first question, we have a question from a guy named Mark. So, hey, look at that. Are um, they related? I don't believe so. So, a question that might be worth answering regarding quote Christian in quote clothing. At what point does the selling of so-called Christian goods move from evangelist? Ah, I can't sit, talk tonight. Uh, evangelical to personal <laughs> benefit or personal gain. I handled that like a champ, didn't I? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was Paul, horrible. Paul and I got hammered about this one early on in Undying Lights history. Really? Because we partnered with uh, a t-shirt That's right. guy for a while. And uh, people were just drilling us that we were trying to sell God the entire time. And really the we never we never made a cut. Um, we didn't make any money off of this deal. All we were doing is um, relaying a, a percentage off to people who went to him and, and ordered T-shirts. And mm-hmm. so we were really just pushing business to him because he made some cool shirts. And, you know, and, and since then, the partnership's kind of dissolved and he's moved on to other avenues. And, you know, we're looking at big at other stuff, too. And so... I think they're, I don't see an issue. I mean, look at like uh, mission wear. They make all sorts of Christian gear and that's how they, that's their business. So why, why should we hound somebody who does something for a living and produces Christian wear? You know, like I have a five solas t-shirt. I have a Sola Deo Gloria t-shirt. I don't feel any shame wearing those because I gave them to somebody who made them. It's just my opinion. I think it's kind of a, I think people who get all bent out of shape are, are really kind of missing the bigger picture of things. 
What do you think, Paul? Uh, people can get it so hyper-spiritualized that you kind of forget that we're living in a society that needs money in order to work. Yeah. People just have to make money. That's It's a fact. You can't really live uh, properly without it, sadly. So, yeah, I'm trying to wear a perfect um, example. I really like... Uh, I really like their stuff. That's pretty much it. Okay, so um, the next question we got is for Paul first, since he's the hermeneutics guy around here. It says, for the round table, no, you're the hermeneutics guy. We're going to start calling you Hermes. Um, Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> they're asking, what do we think about the soap method? If y'all know what that is. So I read a little bit before we actually started recording, but uh, I already forgot. So, so there it is. Uh, wait, can you like guide me through it? So I'll, I'll read a bit and you can let's see. So S is you write out the scripture that you're looking at. And then you well, it says, quote, you'll be amazed by what you will be what God will reveal to you by taking the time to slow down and actually write it. The O stands for observation. What do you see in the verse? That seems kind of, uh, I won't leave commentary. I'll let you do all the commentary. Uh, who is the audience? Uh, are there repetitions of words? And then there's the A for soap. Um, and the A stands for application. And then P is prayer, obviously. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean the the observation bit is kind of short, but and it, it's supposed to be the longest one in proper um, hermeneutical work. And the what was after that? Um, the a-, a application. Application. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like a skip from observation to application. You you kind of skipped interpretation, which is a really important bit, uh, part. But you said something about uh, the historical background and culture and all that, didn't you? Yeah, that was an observation. Yeah, that's interesting uh, that it doesn't include interpretation. Yeah, it's kind of melded together. I don't like that, but I mean, it it, it sounds basic, but you can't really skip from observation to interpretation that quickly. You have to observe a lot and look at the historical background, original audience and all that, which is is in there in the soap thingy. A lot of people have uh, have come up with acronyms and all that, but it's just steps. Observation is first. Of course, you, you should read the passage quite a bit before you actually start observing um, and interpret that. We're, we're going to touch pretty much all of this in the Hermitary series on the next episodes. And the background and all that, yeah, it, it sounds basic, but I, I would stretch it a lot more. What do you think, Alex? Uh, I am not the hermeneutics <laughs> guy, and I have barely touched on the subject itself, but I would agree with Paul. I think there has to be more depth in the observation before we move into interpretation of the scripture. Um, I think there there has to be more of an understanding of what we're looking at before you can start to really actually declare the use of the scripture itself i'd be i'd be concerned about you can't really you can't apply without uh, interpreting so that's 
you you can't really break the chain. Yeah, it's observation, interpretation, application, and you don't have to pray after it. You can pray all through it. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I see that I would be particularly concerned about is if you're writing the scripture down, and then you're only looking at what you wrote down instead of the text as a whole. That could cause some issues. Uh huh. If you're that, yeah yeah. So I Very guess true. I guess if you're assuming that they're looking at the text while they also have it written down, but then what's the point of writing it down? I guess I, I don't know. Yeah, the, it, that's a good point because you miss the the overarch or the overarching context. Yeah, because you're not going to write out a whole paragraph, I don't think, and then even then you don't have the context of the book, and then I don't know. Uh, well, your the the bookmark that you. Uh, got there today in your link in a, in a story that you made that's pretty helpful right isn't that that i found that one to be quite thorough i was like this is neat it, it even is. went into grammar and everything that's the problem this is too like superficial it doesn't really go that deep so i'm um i really don't like stuff that's superficial oh what's that what's that uh catholic um catholic or catholic mystic uh, method of devotion that's it sounds like that uh oh like man. Divina? yeah that kind of reminds me of that um yeah, i don't know because they don't even observe and they they don't interpret it they they forgo every single bit of historical and cultural background they just read the thing and immediately apply it oh there you go and and yeah they do it in a mystical way like they they Isogeet themselves like Steve Burdick into that. So I don't see it on here. <laughs> Some of these people. Um, I don't see it on here. Uh, but someone did ask about suicide. Um, does, uh, yeah. I figured we, we go ahead and go into the uh, heavy thing right away uh, and kind of. Uh, please elaborate. It's Randy Greatest. Please elaborate on Steve Burdick. Hmm? What do you mean? Steven? I don't know. That, that's, that's it. Elaborate on Stephen Furtick. He's well, a Stephen Furtick is a human being. He lives in, in North Carolina, I think. He's a, he's a male. South Carolina? I, I think it's South. South. He's a male. He, he goes to the gym a lot. He, uh, he's a heretic also. What else? I think that sums it up. He's got good hair. <laughs> I mean, I give him that. He's got really good hair. Frick is a man. Please. He, his church is pretty much a, a social club in which people go to have some sort of parties and cheer on on Furtick. He has serious ego issues. He's, he's really full of himself. He has to repent of his false teachings and of, I don't know, bring himself on the center stage and not Christ. I would agree to that. Yeah. Um, do we want to touch on suicide and depression? Since someone did ask about it, I don't see it on the list though. They were asking about, I can't remember his name off the top of my head from this last week. Uh, I know Miriam asked uh, me, I, I don't know if I sent my questions here. I think I did. I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. I see him. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this topic. Yeah. There it is. Subject suggestions, suicide, everyone is talking about it. 
Yeah. You know, it's been, uh, if you have a podcast, this is your topic this week. Yeah. And I, I try not to do that, honestly. Um, because yeah. again, there's a hundred other views. The, the short answer I would say is that it's not the unforgivable sin. And that's where I would just leave that. I, I do. I would like to take this though a little bit further and actually talk about mental health. Okay. Because I feel like that has been, that is a topic that I've been asked quite a few times. And then on another post, I've been just getting just torn to shreds by people. And Paul and I, you and I had a discussion last night around Luther and Spurgeon and depression. Yeah. And I think that there has to be some clarification in terms of like, what should be the church's stance around their pastor and mental health? And let's call a council. Yeah. Yeah. There obviously needs to be more awareness if this is, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a trend and it's known to happen. There's statistics out on it, not, not necessarily suicide, but suffering with depression. If, if we're aware of it, then we should be more attentive to it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how you would practically do that, except maybe have like a way to not accountability, but to check in with people. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Well, it revolves I, a lot around trust. Also, it does. If, if someone going through that doesn't really trust someone else that's yeah. in ministry with them or um, brothers or sisters that are close, they're really going to get stuck in themselves and it's going to happen sooner or, or later. And that that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of factors to consider because most and times I think go ahead. Cause most times whenever you're going through a pit of depression, the last thing you want to do is talk about it, which is I agree. one of those hard right. ironies. I think it has to be there. There has to be a relationship that's just deep rooted between the elders and the pastor. And and I think what it amounts to is because people. So one particular post, and this is where a lot of this is coming from. The person who wrote in the post misused one of the scriptures in first Timothy and said that um, basically equated the sober minded stance to being like mentally stable. And we know that that's not how that phrase is used in that that's context. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of people were laying into him. In my initial response, I never once said anything about being sober-minded. I simply stated that if the person uh, becomes unstable or they have issues, then they need to step. They, then they don't need to be on the stage. And it, I didn't specify permanently. I didn't specify for a week or or however long. But here's the thing. This is for any industry. If you encounter a serious health issue, you need to take some time off. You need to get to recuperate. And if you look at scripture and you look at the requirements uh, that Paul gives us and you look at the, the men who have led the way through the ages, like good biblical men, you don't find that. I mean, I think Spurgeon's probably one of the only exceptions to this that they they may encounter issues later in life, but right off of their initial calling, they're capable men. And that's not to say that the hardships that they encounter aren't there and aren't present in a daily battle. But when they first 
take the call. They are capable men. And through that, they will deal with the hardships because that's what the Christian life is all about is suffering and persecution and, and whatnot. But I think if you are a pastor and you have some sort of like crippling depression, then that you have to speak out to somebody. And I know it's tough because nobody wants to talk about it. And, and I think people get so offended when you say, especially when I made the statement that I, if I think if somebody's mentally unstable, they shouldn't be on the stage preaching God's word. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about like, if, if, if they're going through something, then they need to take some time off. Yeah. And I think, I think really there, there is a lack of balance for a lot of people in that field. They don't, they, they work extremely long hours despite what everyone thinks. Um, yes. At least the faithful ones do. Um, mm -hmm. and so they need that break and they, they need to have time management, maybe a, accountability with time management and, I don't know, accountability with taking time off. Maybe that would be yeah. a, a practical route to take where well, they basically force you to take a sabbatical or. Well, what the thing, the thing that frustrates me and, and I don't know if you've seen this a lot, but I read, I've been reading a lot of pastoral books because I feel, um, that I potentially soon be, could be into a church role. Um, and so I've been trying to read a lot to kind of get into the minds of other, uh, the grades before us and, some books say, you know, it's it, it's not you, you should be on call as a pastor all the time. Even if you're on vacation, you should be at least accessible for emergencies. Hmm. And I think that's that's a that's tough. Yeah. I don't think that should be the case. I think if we are men called by God, I think there has to be a balance like you said, you know, whether it's one day a week where if it's an emergency, here's my, you know, emergency line or I don't know, however you want to have it set up, but like call or email or text or whatever. And I'll be able to respond within a few minutes. Anything else can wait till tomorrow and do one day a week where you are with your family, you're disconnected from, you know, social media and all that. And I think this too is that social media plays really big into, um, a lot of the problems that we have in terms of mental health issues today. You know, I'm not sure I completely agree with that, Alex. What if someone is on the verge of suicide and they really trust their pastor? It's, it's not a big church, so there's only one pastor, which is it's not really biblical. We know that, but it happens. And what if that person really trusts in, in their pastor and he's just not available? Well, I, then the, you're, you're, you're creating a, a scenario that's a unique situation. I'm talking if you have a no, church really, that, It's really possible. Well, sure, but if that person is borderline suicidal and the only person they can reach is the pastor, I think the pastor should still be available, but if it's an emergency, like, I also think, too, the pastor should have a beat on the, his congregation. He may not know directly that this person is suicidal, but they should know that, you know, the hardships that that, that person may be going through. But I also think that there right. has to. But you have you have so many um call 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 rallies, man. Call rallies. There we go. Somehow, I'm like Nick today. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> Apparently. Um, what if what if someone dies close to them, and or uh, spouse, children, and they just feel like committing suicide? You you just can't see that coming. 
and you're just not available. It's also a very probable scenario. I wonder... Will God, will God lead a, a true Christian to suicide? I didn't say that. I'm asking. God lead a true Christian to suicide? Well, I mean, you, you, you said that this person is borderline suicidal. If they're a true, tr- true Christian, will God allow that Christian to commit suicide? It's a possibility. Really? Yeah. Why? I'm, I don't. I don't think that that Jared. Uh, what's his his last name? Wilson. I don't think he's in hell. Well, I don't either. No, I'm just. I'm just. I'm just I'm asking not, a question. I'm, that I'm not going to say that that God led him to suicide, but clearly it was predestined that he would reach heaven uh, through that means in the sense that, uh, of his death because that's the way he died. I think it's worth noting that like it, it would be as if any other sin that any of us commit from my perspective in terms of what y'all yeah. talking about about a pastor being on call. I think it's a little bit peculiar because whenever I think about say the early church they didn't have the means that we have to contact someone immediately, uh, but they shepherded their, right. their congregation. They ministered the word, and that was fine. And you had deacons that would go out and minister to people in that more intimate way. And so some of this comes down to, well, what is your ecclesiology to begin with? And then in terms yeah. of being on call— Well, that, that's what I wanted to say also. A church should— it shouldn't only have one pastor. It should no, have I... a multiplicity of pastors and also deacons. There are churches in the world that only have one pastor, and the people only trust the pastor. Yeah. Well, well he, and that's fine, but I I also think too, going on Nick's line that, you know, it, while what that person may only trust the pastor, if the means to get a hold of that person on a particular sabbatical is through an elder, then I think that should be an established, you know, guideline for the church. I mean, it really should. I agree with that. Yeah, there there should be some kind of because because you know what's going to happen. They're going to set up a system where you can get a hold of your pastor for emergencies, and, and then everybody's ev- going to use it. Yeah, everyone's going to see an emergency, yep. and so you have to have like a filter for the important things. And you know, to some degree, I can see where that's like that's not fair. My pastor needs to be there always for me. But that's what the church is. It's a community. It's not just one person yeah. that you go to. It right. should, you should theoretically be able to go to everyone in the church. Which goes to say that... Sadly, though, evangelicalism is full of churches that are held by only one pastor, and the weight on on that person is just immense. Well, Well, the church I'm looking at would be, I'd be a single pastor, and that's why I have to rely heavily on my board of elders. I have to rely on the congregation to be my support system. Yeah. To get, to not only support me mentally and emotionally, but to, to help support themselves. And, you know what's some biblical about it that people just in in the modern church, especially in in the whole continent of America, I mean no, both uh, North and South, people just look up to pastors too much. I think so. There's too much weight put on us. Well, you know, another thing is that people go to church and they isolate themselves anyway. They're not they're not getting connected with people, and they're people aren't reaching out to them to get connected and get to be known. So I think with an issue like this, it, it really is it could be solved by the congregation just being a congregation and being in fellowship and, and knowing who they're dealing with 
And so it doesn't even really yeah. have to be a pastoral issue if the person has a support system around them from the congregation. So that, that kind of goes Very back true. into we don't even do congregationalism correctly in some sense because we should You know be, what's what's the main fault of that? Social media, man. Well, and, and postmodernism. We, we've made a very independent type situation. Everyone does their thing independently, and that's just kind of what you keep out of the way. You don't. It, it's not that sense of community here. It's it's you just walk the line by yourself, kind of thing. But that was a, that was an interesting conversation. Anything else we want to add before we move forward? No, I think you know. Um, yeah, I. I Go ahead, Alex, please. No, I, I was just going to say, I think I think the mental health issue is one that just gets swept under the rug, and then people get all bent out of shape when we talk about it, and when, especially when I made the, the gesture that if, especially in big churches, you know, you, you promote these young guys who have no um, formal uh, training, they are thrusted into a lead pastor position or whatever it may be, and they're now responsible for um, you know, a thousand to three thousand to ten thousand people, and then all of a sudden, they're having mental breakdowns. I I think there I think there has to be more of a focus from the church body on on mental health. Yeah, and it, it is kind of true that in a lot of a lot of ways, people just assume well, if you're Christian, you won't be depressed. If you're Christian, you won't have yeah. anxiety. Well, I mean, people do that who aren't Christian too, where mm-hmm. or people who don't have depression just don't understand what it is. Oh, you had a bad day. No, that's not what that is. And so it's really just being more diligent and eliminating ignorance in general. But I don't know how you could practically do that. I think that's something that leadership needs to discuss, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. What I wanted to say was, um, I forgot the name of this lady. Uh, she was an American gospel. She has quite a bit of, of scenes in which she's like the speaker. She was under T.D. Jakes, came out of the charismatic movement. Now she has a, a reform platform. And uh, I know Alex knows who she is. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty yep. sure you'd speak. Um, she came out on this whole suicide thing. She just bashed out on anyone saying... Uh, my God will never allow human wisdom to take over uh, some sort of person and then for them to commit suicide. And she basically said that a Christian would never commit suicide. And if they if they ever did, it means they never were Christians. She had a lot of responses. I completely disagree with her. And honestly, just I know we spoke on this on, on a, with with a, a dear friend. Um, give it time, man. His family are a mess probably yeah. now. His wife is probably suffering a lot. His children are, are probably too. So, and she's out there I mean, just tearing. Just have some apart. common sense. It's awful. Just have some common sense. Yeah. Not just blowing out on someone who committed suicide, a young pastor, and telling everyone with with the thousands of followers that she has that that he's in hell. That's an awful thing to do, and and she just twisted scripture to to substantiate her position. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking through all that. Yeah, that's my caged minute. Uh, I I just got really annoyed by it. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, so ungracious, man. Yeah, I mean, that's so prideful. 
It, the irony is that she she's called she's saying those things while exhibiting no fruit of being a Christian at the same time because there's nothing right. within that that goes underneath compassion or love, and it's just like it's, it's ridiculous. Just, it's slandering with scripture. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I do have an interesting question. If y'all are ready, drop the bomb. So, if a quotation in the New Testament is different from the Old Testament, which they usually are, uh, verse cited, do you assume the New Testament reading? You mean like word for word? Yeah. Like if a, a well, the Septuagint can't be, the Septuagint can be exactly like the Hebrew Old Testament because they're just different languages, right? Yeah. yeah, we can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um. Yeah, and I and I see it as just like, well, you have two different languages, and it's like comparing translations. You you get a right. fuller picture of the language. Yeah, and, and not only that, but you're also are probably dealing with two different contexts on sometimes when quotations are done too. You know, you're talking about a direct use in the Old Testament for a very particular instance, and while the New Testament may be a reflection of that context, it's being driven into a different sense. Yeah. Mm, I you could really tread on dangerous grounds with that, but I, 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 agree, I agree with the, like the main statement that you made. But it plays a lot into intertextuality, which is a, a really like deep subject in hermeneutics, and the ways that that the New Testament uses and quotes the Old Testament is not always, uh, should I say it in its original historical context, but it plays into uh, how the how Moses developed scripture by looking to the future somehow and knowing that God would would bring more prophets. He he did know that God did reveal that to him in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, and then the prophet built on that, not by twisting uh, Moses' words, but by buying them into their own uh, uh, historical and cultural context, and the apostles build uh, on top of the foundation of the prophets, not by twisting their scriptures, but by applying its significance and its meaning in different ways. But they, they never twist it. Right. Well, that's what I was trying to say is that there has there's that distinction between how it was originally used and then how is it being used into the new context and from whoever's the, the apostle or even a further prophet down the, down the line. Not that yeah, they're trying to it, twist it. Plays it. a lot into into the. You have to make the differentiation between the significance that a text has and the meaning. It can be applied into various uh, topics, and that's that's what the the New Testament apostles do. And some of them, others are are completely in their original context and need no uh, further explanation. And the meaning is the original historical context of the Old Testament texts. And they also use that and apply the significance, not just the meaning, into the New Testament. A book for that, everyone should buy it, uh, The Hermeneutics of the Biblical Writers. It's absolutely great, but it's quite scholarly. So that, since we're talking about the Old Testament, how do you explain polygamy in the Old Testament? It's a sin. <laughs> Alex, it's a sin. <laughs> just because it just because it happens in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it was condoned. 
Yeah. 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 That's, and that's that that drives me nuts because I actually had an argument with somebody the other day about it. Um, somebody was trying to um, justify polygamy. They were also trying to justify their own sex out of a marriage. And oh my, yeah. And so it was ridiculous. And he was going off about how, um, you know, Saul was it Saul? I'm, I'm totally branded tonight, so I apologize for my lack of knowledge. Um, David, yeah, What's David, Bathsheba? yeah, Bathsheba, and you know, and then he starts quoting all the you know the cases of all this other you know sexual immoralities that occurred in the Old Testament, and I'm like, just because it's there, just like Nick said, just because it's there doesn't make it right. And he's like, but it's yeah. in scripture. I'm like, you aren't getting this, are you? Yes, yeah. this is <laughs> Satan is also in scripture. Yeah. So I'm like, God never condones a lot, you know, a lot that he deals with. He just uses it to bring his glory about. Yeah. I was thinking- and this also plays to hermeneutics. Yep. Because I, I can make a case that lying is allowed because Rahab lied. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that is that water good? It is delicious. Well, and, and I love my I love my water. You're talking about God using you know whatever as a means to uh, to get glory, and I think of well Judas first and the sin he committed. <laughs> yeah. And then I think of of course uh, Jacob and all of his kids, and of course that deals directly with polygamy. So two great examples, I think. But that's for you to decide. Our strongholds. Big- Jacob had kids for from four ladies, right? Um, Leah, Rachel, and their and their uh, what do you call them? Forgot. Maid servants. Like they're slaves. Yeah, they're maid servants. I don't know yeah. the proper term off the top of my head. But I mean, is there really a difference? It's like a, a handmaiden. No, that's not, that's. I mean, that's too it medieval. was even a sin when 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 Jacob worked the 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 seven years plus for Rachel. He, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Jacob's story is very interesting. But, I mean, as Alex had said, you can see where God's lore comes from it because it's 12 tribes, right? Yep. Yep. Um, well, then then you can go into the 12 she tribes really wanted Rachel, though. Um, so are strongholds biblical, or is that just an IHOP Bethel thing. And of course you can say, is that just a charismatic thing? Because the number of people I've heard that say that, I guess strongholds. And I guess that kind of goes into deliverance and all that. Any thoughts? It can be an intellectual thing, an emotional thing, uh, an addiction, temptations. Yeah. So do you Um, think it is? I don't know. Eight. Atheism is a stronghold. Mormonism is a stronghold. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, their their theology is a stronghold. I've never really pondered the the concept too much. I know there's one verse that makes that statement in English. No idea, really. I haven't looked at it too much. I do get a little bit skeptical with the people that hyper emphasize breaking down strongholds because I'm not sure that that's the proper context of that verse. I'll have to. I would have to look at it personally. It's bringing every thought captive, right? I think it just—it's the same concept of breaking, you know, down these walls, or then 
you know, you're 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 breaking down whatever wall. This is your Jericho's wall. You're David, and you're. I mean, you you can bind Satan. I mean, they just take so much out of Scripture and twist it into a perspective that works for them and their audience to, you know, make an application out of Scripture when it absolutely has no or very little actual context to what that text means. You have no idea how many times I heard that word, strongholds, in my old charismatic church. There were um, classes about it sermons about it so Alex is spot on there you know what's interesting is that I, I've heard that thrown around a lot too but whenever, what I never see coupled with it is mortification isn't that kind of telling mm. like do you guys see the connection I'm seeing there they're, they're talking about all these strongholds but I never and I see deliverance and but Jesus delivers us from our sins and, and if mortification is one of the biggest aspects of our lives in order to move out of more sin, why? I don't know. It's just that was an interesting thing that just came to my mind. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Um, if y'all see one, throw it at me. I'm picking through them. I had one earlier. Was Peter married as an apostle? Isn't there evidence that he was? I think there was that no. he was married yeah, before. There is. No, yeah. you, you can't. You can't say that because uh, obviously, according to Roman Catholic history, he's not. So it's true. Yeah. Well, Roman Catholics are all right in well, everything they, they say and do, right? They That's what I'm saying. Right? Deny scripture. Um, they're infallible, sir. Excuse me. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it literally says, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. That's right. Matthew eight fourteen through seventeen and Mark one twenty nine through thirty one and Luke four eight just in so four thirty eight. How, how do they get out of that one? Good question. Well, do they have a problem with Peter being married? Yeah, he was the first pope, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. The first pope. Uh, let me. Here. I'm reading Catholic answers real quick on this. Let's see what they say. Mm, oh boy. Oh, that's interesting, man. Um, Don't convert. Noted no. that this passage does not mention St. Peter's wife, but only his mother-in-law. The Gospels, however, <laughs> make no mention of St. Peter's wife, living or non-living. <laughs> Therefore, St. Peter's wife must have wait, died. Wait, 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 wait. You can have a mother-in-law and not have a wife. Well, no, no, no. They, they say, however, this must... No, therefore, Peter's wife must have died before Jesus called him to be an apostle. Oh, come on, man. Sheesh. Are you serious? Um, it says Clement of Alexandria said that Peter was martyred or married and had children and witnessed his wife's martyrdom in Rome. But but that would have been after Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah. Why why would Peter's wife go to Rome if Peter is a fisherman in Galilee? Yeah. So did they just to fit the Roman Catholic dialogue but that doesn't make any sense because they said before jesus called them how why would she be killed in rome uh and they they would have been really young yeah uh given the silence because wasn't he like on like early 20s or even younger than that i mean wouldn't wouldn't it be weird if peter took jesus and uh four i think four or three of the other apostles 
to his mother-in-law's house if his wife would have already been dead? Well, I mean, he would take care of her, right? I mean, that would be a normal thing to do, to take care of... Well, she probably wasn't an, an only child, because Jewish families typically didn't have only one child. Yeah. That's true. Um... Well, Rome... Rome, 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 Rome. When in Rome? Rome, Rome. Well, and then plus about yeah, obviously you have the Romans too. Obviously, you have the problem with with uh, Paul saying you know that he could get married if he wanted to, and he just chose not to. So yeah. well, we can't. Uh, there's just so many things you can just. I'm not even. Gonna, <laughs> it's, it's a rabbit hole, man. So the ask ask the other apostles. Yeah, because yeah. they were married. Yeah, and it's funny too because oh, I'm a, I don't even want to go there. Um, let's see. Um, wind. Well, let me let me see. What is the difference between regeneration and repentance? That's all. You got choppy. I don't know what you said. Yeah, I didn't hear you. That's all you. That's me. Nick the master on regeneration. <laughs> okay. Um, the difference between regeneration regeneration is the, the quickening of the dead man to life. Um, and repentance is what comes after that. The, the turning away from self-reliance and sin and towards God in faith. You can't have repentance without faith, so you have to mention that. That's my summary. I'm sticking to it. I know a lot of people get up in arms about repentance. A lot of people don't like saying that it's a turning away from sin, but if you're turning away from self-reliance and turning towards Christ, that logically follows that you're turning away from sin. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Any, you guys? Uh, on, I think you nailed it. No. All right. Um, well, we were talking about ecclesiology. So, where in the Bible does it? So where in the Bible does it support pastors living off the church? I said First Corinthians nine. I was thinking or something like wrong that. there. It's either in Corinthians or Timothy. I remember him saying uh, Corinthians is all about that. Not all about that, but it touches heavily on that. Yeah, because the the Corinthians Paul Paul didn't want their their trust in him to be diminished by him asking them for money, so he worked on his own to get his money, and he says. Uh, was the verse uh, the worker is worthy of his wage? Yeah. Um, look in here. In fact, he tells people to to not even get people, um, to get people food if they're not willing to work at all. Which first, is, first Timothy five seventeen. Thessalonians is it? What'd you say, Alex? First Timothy five seventeen. Paul says, "Let the elders who rule." Well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who in labor and preaching and teaching. For scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox where it treads out grain, and the labor deserves his wages. There you go. Which is also an interesting application of the Old Testament text. Yeah. Um, I, th I thought there was something. Well, okay. I thought there was something in 1 Corinthians also, Paul, but. I yeah, think 1 Corinthians 9.14. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel shall get their living yes. by the gospel. There it is. That's what I was looking for. So what do you think about... Also, what do you think also about Matthew 4.4. 4. Matthew 4.4. 4. 
But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word that comes from the mouth of God. That could be used. That's an interesting take on that one. To make a living off of the word of God. Mm, That's a stretch of this one. I'm not sure if I would have. Yeah, I think it is. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that one. This is this is a this is off of God questions. So God that's questions. That's an interesting play on that verse. I'll say that. Yeah, I've never heard that one. That because he says, and honestly, which is more important? I think he's talking about actual spiritual. But he says physical food or spiritual food based on Matthew four four. Hmm. So I think that's what he's trying to get at is is really whether wages are more important or is it or is the you know the word of God more important. Interesting. Um, so, what do y'all think about the individuals who go by vocational? Well, there's small churches that don't have the means to pay for a full time pastor. So, but I think a pastor's duties, regardless, should be uh, full time to the church. Um, so, I mean, I'm kind of impartial on it, but I understand. In today's culture, I can see a need for it, but also. You know, I know some really small churches that can't afford a pastor, so they do, so they share pastors with, you know, like one person goes to two or three different churches and then they have this like rotation amongst them. And that's how they've been operating for a few years and it works really well for them. So I don't know. Hmm. What do you think? Okay. I think he'd fell off again i think so too really yeah. am i off no nope, you're, you're there good. you're good now you just went okay right yeah i i agree with alex yeah i think um i think it's interesting because i i would be curious to see whether or not early pastors in the early church had multiple positions because if, if paul has to tell them to do that i would wonder how many people actually did does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. And then Paul, I think in the early church, they were focused solely on their churches. And but I also think too, you have to look at their life. Then was um, food, some basic clothing, yeah, and that was it. Bare necessities. And, yeah, and now today you've got I got to pay for my kids' school. I got to pay for my kids' clothes, my kids' lunches, my kids' books. I got to buy them, you know utensils and and tools and this is just your kid you know like then you got to pay for your clothes your uh food your living then you got to pay for internet you got to pay for you know probably a tv service that you've got you got to make your house mortgage or if if you're lucky to live in a parsonage you might get that paid for then you got to pay for utilities you got to pay for water you got to pay for trash you have to pay put gas in your car so you can travel to people's houses you have to have a car Oh, you got to have insurance on that car, too. Oh, by the way, you need medical insurance. Oh, when you quit your job, you need to be um, money for retirement. So you got to be putting money into retirement. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. We've yeah. created this entire tree out of, to, of expenses that 500 years ago wasn't there. Yeah. 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 Living has gotten exponentially more expensive with time. So, how to encourage husbands who are brand new believers? Husband. Hmm? 
I'm not a husband. <laughs> but you're a man. Yeah. Say that True. say that you recently got married to some individual and you had just converted. How would you want them to encourage you, Paul? By teaching me an exegetical class on Ephesians 5. <laughs> uh, excuse me, did you forget about 2 Timothy or what? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, triggered. Um, also that, Titus, 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, <laughs> on and on and on. I would say just p- keep them accountable to reading Scripture. That, that'll that yeah. get them along their way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. People just don't do that. Right, I think I think from a from a woman's standpoint to a man, the best approach should be sitting there and doing it with him. Yeah, beating. because yeah, I, I for when I was a new believer, a, a fresh believer, I never picked up my Bible, and <clears throat> and it is a drastic change when you see your wife doing that kind of action with you. So you could also say be an example. So even whenever, he, for some reason, he's not doing it, you do it and uh, walk the walk, right? <coughs> Y'all have any questions you see that pop out? I see, like, favorite pizza and favorite rocks because Alex. Favorite rocks? Mine is probably uh, volcanic rock. Yeah, I like granite. I like any kind of rock with, like, bioluminescent <coughs> algae on it, so. Uh, oh, I saw those on Washington. Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, dude, those were lit. Literally. Like, literally lit. Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, Well, that was quick. Pizza? Favorite pizza? Favorite pizza? Pepperoni. Deep dish. Loose Chicago style. Stuffed crust or no stuffed crust? <laughs> well, if it's deep, if it's, pan, if it's the, um, um, Chicago style, they don't do stuffed crust. But if it's a regular, it's got to be stuffed crust. Yeah, I agree. I'm a classic pepperoni kind of guy, too. Yep, straight pepperoni, man. Now, the type of pizza depends on how much I want to eat. Now, if I want to eat a whole bunch, I like the thin crust. Yes, yes. But but I do like the pan pizza a lot. Wait, wait, wait. If you you have an expensive kind of pizza, like really thin crust, uh, it has to have ricotta on it and spinach. Um, now no one get angry with me, but mm. my Don't least you dare favorite... say you put pineapple on your pizza. Oh, no, no, that's weird. Um, <laughs> never eat pizza in Canada. It's not worth it. I promise. Why? Well, I... The bread's weird. They use, they use a different kind of pepperoni. It's just, it's just weird, man. It's a Canadian. Liberal pizza. I mean, they're the ones who came Liberal with the Canadian pizza. bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You You can tell the pigs were vegan, right? So. <laughs> a little bit slow uh, on that one, I think. Oh, my bad. Okay. We have another one. I don't know why. It's it just says garlic knots. Yeah, I don't know what he's thinking. Um, Maybe he, something about vampires. You read my mind. I didn't even think about. It. I was just thinking, like, how do you cook garlic knots? Like, you know, it's delicious. Is like scalloped garlic potatoes. Oh yeah, those are amazing. oh my. Man. My wife made a roast tonight, and I think if we would put some garlic cloves in there, it would have really enhanced some of that flavoring. Garlic's amazing. Garlic's good. Mm. 
It was uh, amazing. There you go. Pizza with garlic butter. Not only. Oh, yes. Papa John's oh, does dude, that. That's it is so good. It's so good. No, it's it's like pure cancerogenous fat, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it really is. I know we talked right. about food last night, too, and now here we are again, Paul. I hear it's really good. Yeah, and I'm for hungry. You. Yeah. Well, um, so whenever we're in Orlando, guys, uh, if y'all see us and y'all want to go eat some alligator tail with us, let us know. We're going to go try some fried alligator tail. I don't know what he's talking about, but I'll go with you. <laughs> he's been DMing me that, all but... week about alligator tail. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, look, I'll, I, I guess I'll take a bite, but I'm not going to order an alligator tail. That's what no, we're no, getting, no. man. It's, gonna be... it's probably expensive, too. Well, yeah. we're going to split it, and it's going to take over the whole table probably. They'll probably put garlic on it. I can imagine nice alligator tail with some garlic, some nice seasoning. I mean, is this like a 10-foot tail that's going to be on the table for I, us to eat? It has to be. Well, alligator's a little bit smaller it's than crocodile. It's around. It's still attached. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll have the mouth with an apple in it for us. <laughs> with an apple. <laughs> Fried alligator. Oh, man. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's like, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie Waterboy? Yes. Where, oh, where there's yeah. two Shiro's the alligators and sitting there eating them. That's exactly what we're going to be like. That's exactly what we're going to do. Except we're, except we're not going to be in Louisiana. Movie, I completely forgot about that. Oh, yeah. oh man. If it, yes, come out to dinner with to, us. To, to Chick-fil-A and Shake Shack, man. Yes, down for that. Burgers and chicken, man. Supposedly we're playing <laughs> mini golf, too, so we'll have to see how that pans out. Join us, people. Uh, anyone is welcome. Anyone is anybody. Welcome. It'll be fun. Um, oh, there's a couple also of also a, a shooting range, <laughs> like like a golf ball shooting range or a gun shooting range. Because I'm down for either gun shooting range. Uh, gun, 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 gun. Yeah, let's go shoot some guns. Let's see. Um, I don't understand. Is the Holy Spirit constrained to structure, or is he free to do as he pleases? How would you interpret that question? Well, he's certainly not coming out of air ducts and gold dust. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Are you putting God in a box? I did. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how many times I was, I've was i been told that today? <laughs> Just really? today alone, at least 10 different times. Yeah, I don't I hear that as much as I would like to. Oh. Uh, what the was the question? Is oh. the Holy Spirit constrained to structure or is he free to do as he pleases i mean he's he's god he's free to do as he pleases in regard to the structure that god the father has set out for the uh working out of the trinity seems legit. i know if that makes any sense it seems legit to me do you want to go with that does anyone want to try to simplify that uh let's go ahead and break down the trinity <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's like a pretzel. <laughs> oh, good. I don't know. Do you guys think that, that God the Father, uh, if we speak on terms of begin to think, it's already like out of stage because eternity past doesn't have moments. Would I be wrong in saying that God the Father thought out the redemption process? And then command uh, the Son and Holy Spirit to play the role. This is writing on heretical grounds, but I just had to ask. Um, so your question is about the usage of the language of having the Father play out the roles, or the question about using the past tense? Or 
Well, in this sense of uh, personage, the Father is uh, unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Holy Spirit uh, proceeds from the Father and the Son. So there's, there is an order. But is that order eternal in the sense of redemption, like what the Holy Spirit would do in regeneration and sanctification and the Son would do in redemption? Do you think that in, in eternity past, that the Father uh, sort of like structured that plan? Or you know how to say that? That's an interesting question. I mean, if if as early as Genesis 3, right, we, we have the prophecy of the Son, then I would say at least at that point, but how can you know prior to, right? Well, slain from the foundation of the world. Right. So, well, I mean, um, if the foundation of the world is the basis, we've been predestined from the, fo- the foundation of the world. If that's the only basis we have, then I guess, then no. Right? I, I don't know. that. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how you could really deduce that. Deep waters. Very deep waters. Well, I think you have to, you can also look at John 1 1 and say that Jesus was there in the beginning. So if you've got God and Jesus in the beginning, then you've got to have the Holy Spirit. And you don't know what the beginning necessarily, you know, is. Is it the beginning of creation or is it maybe because if God's eternal, there is no beginning. Right. So that well, would take this, but there's, there's a Greek term there that doesn't really have a time limit. Right. It's like as far back as you want to go. Right. It's, it's forever. And so you've got those three already. So would it be heretical grounds to say that the the, the three uh, drew out the same cohesive thought on the plan of redemption and glorification? Oh yeah, because they all they all share the same will. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I would say John one one though is is a direct allusion to Genesis one one though. I mean, right. I, st- I, I would still make I would still make an argument that uh, John one. Uh, through three points to the eternality of the sun, but that it's obviously making that parallel with Genesis one, in my view. Yeah, it's... that was an interesting little tidbit to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, it depends on what the person means with free to do as he pleases. I mean, he, he the, the Trinity still structured. In, in the the history of redemption, the Holy Spirit can just go and uh, regenerate someone for whom the Son didn't die for. So, here, here's here's how I'm thinking about it now: was that yes, the Holy Spirit's free to do as He pleases, and that which pleases the Holy Spirit is confined to His nature. Be, but and so He's still free to do everything because He's God, but He still acts within His nature, and so He's not going to do. You know, he's not going to go commit sin and things like that. So there is still some kind of structure yeah. because of his very nature and character. But he's still free because obviously God is sovereign. Yep. Yeah. So thoughts on keeping uh, on Sabbath keeping Saturday or Sunday. Should it or does it matter? Uh, um, Alex just read, well, no, never mind. That was a little bit. We were reading, uh, 2000 years of Christ's power and they were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, volume. 
Volume one? I think volume one is where they talk about the most. Yeah, isn't that Justin Martyr that talked about that? Yeah, so it on was... On the Lord's Day. Right. So uh, in the early church, they did both. They would go to synagogue and they would keep uh, the sun... Or they would go on Sunday for the Lord's Day until the Jewish temple was destroyed. And then they put the, the curse in Jewish liturgy. And then from there, uh, they just stopped going to... Uh, to synagogue on Saturdays and just made it exclusively Sunday, but it was they were going to both immediately at the resurrection uh, because uh, with with the law, the law is all a shadow of Christ's work, and that includes the Sabbath, the rest. And so they would um, say that that is I don't know how to say the word I'm thinking of because the resurrection they would celebrate on the resurrection and the reality of what Christ has done. I don't know, but it I, it doesn't really. Oof, do I really want to say this? It doesn't really matter what day you observe in particular. Would y'all agree with that? Yes, because our Sabbath rest is always in Jesus every day, theoretically. Because it it's, yeah. it's a rest from striving and working for the law. So if if we're not working, to what be do you saved, say that if if keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. we say that Christians should have uh, a quote unquote Sabbath be at any day during the week. You know, what's interesting about that is because whenever I think about that, if if we're resting from work and work in the context of you know keeping the law and and going out and making our due and all that. And if our rest is in Jesus, then the commandment would be abide in Jesus in some sense. Like I think of Matthew, oh goodness, where he says, um, you come to the Father through the Son, take on my yoke because it's easy and you'll find rest. Matthew 11. Matt, thank you. Um, And so I think of that almost, like where it's almost becomes a commandment of abiding, but I'm not 100% on that. That's just kind of what's coming out of my head right now. I kind of agree with that, and I I, I kind of like it, and it does make sense because it kind of connects with John fifteen. I mean, as well, and the idea of um, Jesus is the Sabbath, and if we're supposed to be with Him all the time in our rest and ceasing from working for uh, fellowship and relationship with the Father, um, there you go. Right? I mean, something I yeah. might need to look into more. Um, y'all see anything that looks interesting? Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, define and discuss the difference between spirit, soul, and body. I don't have a coherent enough view to speak, yeah, to speak on this right now. I don't think. <laughs> Me neither. Spirit, spirit is that. Um, spirit is the life within us. The body is the physical material, and the soul is the eternal. Uh, nature of us. Yeah, but this place a lot in um, Bethel. I know we're sick of this, but uh, trichotomy is not really uh, an old view. It hasn't been held in the church for, for very long that I know of. Uh, dichotomy has, I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it's called. That um, man is uh, immaterial and material. And uh, the Old Testament uses soul and spirit interchangeably. 
So that that's as far as I'll go. This, this is I haven't studied on this, but uh, charismatics really like this because I play on the spirit part a lot on how how the Holy Spirit comes comes and dwells or replaces somehow the spirit, and then you have the same power that Jesus did, and Jesus uh, also had a soul and a spirit. So it's it, it's it's really a mess, and I'm 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 gonna get confused, so I, I'd rather not talk about it. I want to choose on another one though. I know that the discussion on trichotomy and dichotomy is, I mean, pretty pretty common within Christian circles whenever people decide to go there. So there's there's no one who who's monolithic, or it's not monolithic within Christianity for sure. Yeah, I, I never heard of. I, I didn't know that they emphasized it like that in um, Bethel or. Yeah, they do. I, I listen in the church uh, that I was part of, charismatic. Oh, interesting. Uh oh. So another new topic, Canon, uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Well, we talked about that on the last one. Opinion about her. Well, we we talked about her on the last round table. Yeah, on the last round table. Yeah. Because I remember Uh, that we talked about her on the last round table, and the day after we published it, she put up that post about she doesn't care who she hangs out with, and I was like, really? Oh yeah, the tribes. Yeah, the, the tribalism, and then she hung she hung out with uh, Jen Johnson. At that point, for me, yeah, I mean, yep, toast. Um, and she's also big in American gospel. Uh, I'm 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 kind of sad about that because it's such a great documentary, and and it's just being ruined by people who are in it and now are doing all kind of stuff like telling others that some pastor who committed suicide is in hell and um, hanging out with Bethel. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, and what's been interesting, I, I know that you have feelings about this, Paul, is Michael Brown, uh, with, um, not only defending, Todd White. N- not only Todd White, but also defending, um, Todd Bentley. If you've seen that. What? Um, he did? Yeah. Yeah. He, he basically stood up for him. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, so someone asked me like, Hey, what do you think about this uh, video of, of, Michael Brown, and it looked like it was going to be a good one. And I was like, mm, I wouldn't recommend him anymore. I just have to say that now because it's just not worth it, which is really sad in my opinion because I used to really enjoy him. But he's just gone so far down the new apostolic reformation yeah. rabbit hole. It, it seems like he refuses to anyone who is clearly a heretic, a heretic. Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't want to. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, he said that was his first time meeting uh, Todd White, and I guess, I guess you could say, well, you know, you didn't really have time to get to know him, but I don't know. Well, that's that's what he always says. But come on, he's yeah. Todd White is big on charismatic movement. I I I'm not sure that I would honestly believe him if he said that he he doesn't know a bit of Todd White. Yeah, and he does. That's true. All right. Um, and, and you know what? Todd White is, is just a different person than Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley's just... He, he's something. He's... I don't know something. how many demons are in there. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's how I'm going to put it. Todd White he's is legion. different. He, he seems nice. He seems nice. He he goes around stretching people's legs. I know. Uh, he, yeah, he's you, under man. Kenneth Copeland. I know that. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's awful too. And he never preaches to anyone. He lends, uh, lengthens legs. Yeah, Todd White. But he he doesn't go around punching people in the stomach. He he he's not uh, 
cheating on his wife openly with a secretary. I mean, did you hear the the allegations on uh, on Todd White recently? He he's accused of of uh, hiring a male prostitute for him and a friend. I mean, that for, for White or fun. Bentley for Bentley for, for ben- Bentley. Yeah, that's right. I, I thought I heard he's him. Just, he went down that road. Yeah, the bottom barrel. Yeah. And yeah. for for Michael Brown to advocate for him, that's too far. That is just too far. Well, uh, and we'll have to see what happens because it was Bill Johnson, I believe, who reinstated him after he had been declared an apostle by all the big leaders of the NAR uh, way back when in 2008. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, does anyone want to pick the last two questions? I think we said. Alex to pick one. Yeah, hey. I don't think you have, bro. Yeah, Alex hasn't picked anything. What's going on here? No, I've been pretty quiet. Seeker-friendly churches and their ecclesi- ecclesiastical <laughs> methodologies. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Actually, I have That's one. Us. Do you want to do that one or not? Anyone? Whatever you want. Uh, I was just going <laughs> to say, word of faith preachers using Matthew 21. Uh, and then verses twenty through twenty-two, saying that we do that we have to have enough faith to do X, Y, and Z. I'm guessing it has to do with the greater works. Uh, the truly, I say to you, or am I here? Twenty. Uh, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, "How did the fig tree wither at once?" And Jesus said, "Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to a mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So you can move mountains, gentlemen, if you have the faith. I have a lot beside me. Really big ones. I don't have any. I'm in a flat, lame area in, in Chicago. I like to oh, move you mountain. should build a garbage, like a garbage heap, and move it with faith. <laughs> I I think it's an easy question about anybody to you know, to answer. It's just context. It's understanding that the meta narrative of the gospels and how it's not just you know asking for whatever in prayer. It's asking for whatever the God's will is to be done to you in prayer. And you don't, it's, it's also it's directed to the apostles. I mean, to yeah. the original disciples, disciples. also. And yeah. the fig tree is a is an image of Israel. Mm-hmm. Christ was condemning Israel then. And how does it play on? Uh, you will not only say to the fig tree, but to a mountain. Who did the apostles go against? Like the Roman self, man. Like yeah. Paul. Paul stood before Caesar. He stood before kings of other nations. Yeah. And he he uh, gave it to to Christ to the gospel. Isn't that what it means? Probably. I could see that having a better context than literally telling a mountain to jump in the ocean and it'd be done. That's well, not gonna happen. Well, the mountain is yeah. your, your problem. <laughs> <laughs> that that mountain... just like it's your walls of Jericho, man. Yeah. Just pick up your slingshot and throw it. <laughs> this the, this mountain is is that. That, that new job I need. I just have enough faith. I, can I, just I gotta get move that it. new car. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that's you know, not what, what I mean. if. What if I want a new car? It's my Jericho, and I walk seven seven uh, circles around the car, and then blow a shower, and the car becomes mine. Um, 
if you do that and experiment, I want a video. <laughs> I uh, I would love to I see you blow the show far. I, I put a mountain in the ocean once. Yeah. I might have been that mountain, but I did put a mountain in the ocean once. <laughs> I threw a sandcastle in, in, in the ocean once. That's close, right? What if your boat sits? Are you putting a mountain in, in the ocean? <laughs> Only if you're the size of a mountain. <laughs> a mountain of money. I'm just a mountain of fat. Goodness. <laughs> Uh, from all those allig- about food too much i'm just getting here getting fatter here i know it's from all those alligator tails you're eating <laughs> it's just got a <laughs> smorgasbord of alligator tails over here it's just like every day alligator shish kebabs or something every day every day with this guy and his alligator tails uh, i'm pretty man. sure you guys are gonna hate it oh i'm pretty or, sure i'm pretty sure it's gonna be disgusting either that or it's gonna taste like chicken i heard it tastes like chicken I've tried. I've tried. Yeah, but uh, dude, I'm not gonna pay fifty dollars for chicken. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm just sh- going to Chick Fil A, dude. I'm sure there'll be some kind of food truck selling out. Of- Catch <laughs> 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 all fresh. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, uh, the conference that has three food trucks outside. Yeah. So, well, I mean, there's maybe so- you get lucky. There's so many ponds in the city of Orlando, from what I saw. I'm sure there's alligator that we can just catch ourselves. And we can just so, say, we can just say with faith we, that we want my, that tail. My, uh, my company has an office in Lakeland, Florida, which is like right in the middle of the state, and in the back of the office where the, like the front door is, because it, it's a four company built office. So ours is in the back corner. So you drive all the way to the back of the building, and there's this like huge lagoon on the other side of the parking lot. And I'm like, do you guys get any alligators here ever? And they're like, no, not really. I'm like. Uh, I'd be kind of leery about that. It's a pretty marshy area. <laughs> it's frightening. I would not be shocked if there's an alligator well, shows up one well, day. Well, apparently they go all fish one. Yeah, apparently they all go to uh, Disney World anyway. So yeah, so we can go get get some nice fresh alligator tail from Disney World. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> oh man. You know, I I really don't branch out with food. And so it's just become a joke within my own mind that I'm going to try this. Chances are I won't even think about it when we're there. Except we'll be too we'll be too giddy because we'll actually meet each other. <laughs> yes, we're staying in the same place. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by, by the way, if for for those of you who don't know, we've never met each other. Oh, the three yeah. of us don't know each other. We do know each other, but we don't know each kind other. Kind of, but we don't. I know that Paul's Physically. tall. Paul's tall. And uh, yeah, I think you're taller inch. than I am. We're the same, I think. I think you're six three. Jeez, I'm gonna six, be like a midget I'm compared to you six, guys. Six one, almost six two. Yeah, I'm, six, I'm gonna be like I'm, six I'm gonna two. be like the Kevin Hart of this relationship. Yeah. You guys are gonna be like the rock. <laughs> it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Uh, so I have to learn Alex, to be funny. You said now. Six inch. What what was six inch? Your beard. But no, you guys are like six I, inches dude, taller. It's short now. I trimmed it a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mine's gone. I shaved it. Oh, I, man. I you're, might have it. You're not reformed anymore. I am. I am Roman Catholic now. <laughs> I've gone up the deep edge. I've... A, I've... They had cookies, man. What could I do? Were they... Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, do you want to touch on the last one? I, I really like this question, by the way. What you got? apologetic a waste of time 
if anything is beneficial for the Christian. I didn't hear the question. You cut out. What? Oh, is is apologetics a waste oh. of time? No, not at all. Why? Well, because I think it's an understand. I think it depends on what what level you take it, but I think having a, a, a let's at least look a- at it from a reformed perspective, though, because I'm pretty sure that's where this is going. Uh, yeah. From presuppositionalism, people are dead in their sins, right, and their their intellects are just darkened. So, what good would it make for me to talk about God and defend the Bible and um, argue for? Uh, just logic itself if the person's intellect is dead to god why does james white do it right i mean i don't agree with with all that i said no i know i'm just i'm just how many people i'm just just throwing i i get i get where you're coming from i'm just uh i mean i think they're i think it depends i mean each person has their own calling like some people are, are better at you know, uh, counteracting world and secular arguments based upon biblical scripture. And some people just are not good at it. So I think it's based upon your calling. And if you are not good to be an apologetic type person, then it could be, I don't think it's bad to understand and be able to, you know, have a firm foundation to uh, answer to objections. Um, but I don't, you know, if it's just not your thing, then I don't think it's something that you need to be investing in. Yeah, probably. But everyone should have uh, a defense ready for the faith. Yeah, absolutely. So I think everyone should study, have a sound basis for apologetics. I think. What about you, Nick? I think that it is firstly beneficial for the Christian more than the unbeliever. Um, I found yeah. myself edifying and growing and loving God more through studying apologetics, and it, it makes you have a deeper appreciation for everything. But I don't think that apologetics changes anyone's mind. I think it's ultimately the gospel. And you brought up James White. And, and you know, I'm always up for uh, discussion on various things as well. I think it does kind of break down some hindrances that may kind of, it may be the means by which God opens someone's eyes. But if you do apologetics without the gospel presentation, it's it's pretty meaningless. I uh, totally agree. Sure. And I always see James White. He uh, always, with whenever he's doing uh, debates with people who aren't, Christian, I always see the gospel in at the end of the debate. Yep, that's there's how you a whole do video it. like twenty minutes long with uh, no, I think it's forty something minutes long. The white is just preaching the gospel to Muslims in mosques, right? And that's kind of like if you think it's about awesome it, awesome to see. If you think about it, the the prospect of hey, come debate us, gave him a door to preach the gospel to those people. Yeah. So even on like even without the, the talking about the argumentation, the environment itself facilitated that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to hear Alex on this, John Knox, <laughs> greatest reformer, period. Not every reformer sat and told the queen to just kind of sit down. <laughs> That's and, true. That's true. He, he he was he was something, man. I love John Knox, man. I, I think if, if I was to be like, if I were to follow anybody like more, I would probably say it's a, it's going to be Knox. I absolutely love his entire demeanor, his, his, the way he did things. I'm just fascinated by him. I don't know why. That's he, just me. I really should read more, more on him. He, he, he had one book that wasn't popular at all. 
Yes, that's true. You know what I'm talking yeah. about too. He, I, he he went a little too hard sometimes, but it was good. I mean, obviously, uh, his resolve for the reformation of Scotland was just awesome. I mean, he's my favorite reformer. Ah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. You just became my new favorite person on the round table, Nick. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's short pickings anyway. So. <laughs> I'm going to keep quiet. Because <laughs> um, Paul and I are feuding, apparently. I'm pretty sure I am pretty sure I said that wrong. It's not short pickings, small pickings. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I was like going back to the conversation of height differences i was thinking about that yeah i wasn't making a joke about you i promise <laughs> I, I, I didn't even catch it so don't worry yeah good well, if anybody's short guys it's me so so how tall are you again i missed it five uh, i'm like five zero oh. compared to you guys so so we have to so give you like wait five zero no i'm like five nine <laughs> okay <laughs> but you guys will be like a whole body ahead of me so Hmm. So, so we do have to get you a backpack and make you go in the water. Yes, you know what I'm talking about too. Yes, don't take a backpack in water. Uh, so, are we calling it? Or are we doing any more? What are we doing? I'm the host, but I don't know what we're doing. Let's do one more question. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to make it good. I have this really long one, but I don't understand it. See, and I have this one saying, how would you respond that PSA, I'm assuming that Perseverance of the Saints, but just wrongly. uh, It's penal substitutionary atonement. That makes so much more sense. I'm just losing my mind. Was a doctor made up by the reformers? Um, But I don't really know that I want to particularly spend time on that one. It's a tough one, but I know I, I watched a debate between James White and I forgot his name. His name is Peter. Uh, it just left me. He, he's a Roman Catholic. He's like the foremost Roman Catholic apostate. They were talking just about this. And penal substitutionary atonement is pretty much rejected by everyone other than uh, Reformed people because you can't really have uh, a substitute that gets penalized for an unknown mass of humanity. It has to be uh, individual and uh, precise on its um, effect. And what was the question again? If the reformed, uh, if the reformers invented it? Yeah, how would you respond if they made it up? Or if someone said that no, they made it up? I think they drew it from scripture, but the, the first work on the atonement, I think it's from the 4th or 5th century, it, it wasn't really touched on on the early church a lot, and I don't think that the the reformers made it. I think they drew it out from scripture. Um, I I don't know where else to go with that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about uh about the the only thing I can think of is that I remember there being works on it in the seventh century. I'm not sure about anything else. That's all I know. That and I remember that. And limited atonement, both from my mind, were at least in the seventh century. That's where I have to look back into that. 
interesting. But well, I, you're the church I, I know that guy. it wasn't made up. And no, nah, man, that's you. Be quiet. <laughs> you're the church. Um, I know it wasn't made up because of the Old Testament. What what did the animal and the the offering suffer? Was it wrath, like substitution for the people, or was it not? I think it's pretty clear that it was. It, it drew away God's wrath. That hundred percent clear in the New Testament. So it's it's only natural that Christ's um, atonement would be penal and substitutionary. Oh my, was drowned. Both penal and substitutionary. You see that in Isaiah um, fifty-three. It pleased the Lord to crush him. And whose sin is he bearing? Ours. So it's it's penal and it's substitution and it's an atonement. So I, I think it's really clear by scripture. I think uh, Romans 5 says something pretty like blatant on the subject too. Um, what do you think, Alex, while I look for this? I think you two are far more keen on that one but i think paul's right in terms of it's not something the reformers invented or created it's something that they drew out of scripture and if you look at you know the original atonement you know the the animal sacrifices they didn't experience the wrath of god like the like christ did on the cross so christ is that penal substitute he is the perfect atonement and that is why you know, at that point, at that moment, you know, he said, you know, um, why have you forsaken me? And then, you know, you can only imagine the agony of the wrath of God coming down upon him for all of our sins. Yeah. And you just don't see that an animal cannot suffer in that manner. And so that's why Christ yeah. had to be the substitute for us, because a man couldn't even suffer like that. Yeah, the text, I was mistaken. The text I was talking about is Romans 5, 9, but it talks more about justification. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I mean, he talks a little bit about being saved from God's wrath, but that's not necessarily penal. Yeah. Well, Catholics reject that. They they think that it's only a, a saving from sin and not from wrath. I don't know how you can draw that from the Bible, but, well, wrong again yeah. yeah they probably have some kind of article on it that's confusing so I guess we'll wrap up tonight it was a pleasure um, and until next time everyone have a good night Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.